from the files of Schlock and all. Welcome to Flesh Noir, the home of the straight-to-video erotic thriller. Here are your hosts, Maddie Budrevich and Dave Wayne. Sex. Sex. For more than 50 years, I have nurtured new talent and young filmmakers in the independent film business. As a producer of more than 300 independent movies, I've had the good fortune of working with such up-and-coming actors as Jack Nicholson and Sandra Bullock, and filmmakers who have gone on to be among the most premier talent in the mainstream studio industry, such as James Cameron, Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, Jonathan Demme, and Ron Howard. However, of all the people who have done work for me, and for whom I have been credited as mentoring over the years, Andrew Stevens is unique in that he started as an actor of note moved on to be quite a proficient writer and director, and subsequently became an enormously prolific motion picture producer. As if that wasn't enough, he then entered the foreign sales and distribution realm, and over the years built several foreign sales and distribution companies that were as competitive as any. My only regret is that Andrew and I didn't meet 10 or 15 years earlier than we did, because we most certainly would have made exponentially more than 26 films we had already done together. Roger Corman there, in the forward to Andrew Stevens's 2016 book, Producing for Profit. Hello, my name is Dave Wayne, and sat right beside me as always is Matty Bedrevich. Hello. Welcome to episode two of Flush Noir. How could you do it in my own house? <laughs> yeah, we should have gone to a motel, eh? Just yesterday, you were begging me to give you another chance. It's amazing the shit you come up with when you're sober, isn't it? You know, if you spent a little more time on your music and a little less time screwing around, you might have a record out one of these years. Oh, God, bitch. You were a bloody secretary when I met you. You'd still be doing dictation going down on the bus on Fridays if I hadn't rescued you. It's been a while, yeah. hasn't it? It has been a while. Far, far longer than I think either of us would have liked. Um, but we haven't been uh, slacking or anything like that. Should we do like a plug or something? Like at least fill people in on what the hell we've been up to? We haven't got time. Quite <laughs> frankly, our only time is... Oh, the arrogance. <laughs> Such arrogance. No, but it's like anything and any erotic sort of flight of fancy. You know, you, you would like to do it more often. But ultimately, you only get a chance to do it about twice a year. Uh, it happens to all of us. It's an age thing. But yeah, so there we are. So, episode two, we've done body chemistry, and now we present the Night Eyes franchise. Yes, how yes, exciting! But but where where can we begin on this? Let let's do some background to this. Let's put it in context, shall context. we? Okay. Well, in order to do that, again, it has been a while since episode one, but if you can remember, we did mention the nineteen eighty eight Writers Guild of America strike sure. in episode one, and that. It was something of a key event in the genesis of the straight-to-video erotic thriller. Mm -hmm. First, the strike, which to this day, it still stands as the longest strike in the WGA's history at a whopping 153 days. Uh, But it was when screenwriter Jack Canson, a.k.a. Jackson Barr, entered the Roger Corman fold, which ultimately would lead to him writing the uh, script for body chemistry. Okay. Second, it was during the strike when the aforementioned Andrew Stevens was offered the lead role in the um, Corman-produced sci-fi horror flick, The Terror Within. Mm -hmm. 
Stevens, who, as an actor, he'd already appeared in things like Brian De Palma's The Fury, the Charles Bronson flick Ten to Midnight, and David Schmoller's proto-erotic thriller The Seduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wanted and he needed the work, so, of course, he took it. And when The Terror Within was finished, it did well enough during its VHS release to warrant Corman producing a sequel. Now, as Stevens had begun to express an interest in directing... Corman offered him the chance to star, write and direct The Terror Within 2 in, in, in a similar sort of deal that he'd offered a young Ron Howard back in the 70s with Grand Theft Auto. Mm. So Stevens, he agreed to do that. He agreed to star, write and direct, but with an additional caveat. He wanted Corman to make a second picture in co-production with him at a later date. So The Terror Within 2... That was made, and a few years later, Stevens and Corman, they made their second film together, which Mm. was, of course, Body Chemistry 3, Point of Seduction. While this was happening, though, Stevens, he'd connected with another couple of Corman associates, a pair of Indian filmmakers by the name of Ashok Amritraj and Jagmundra, when he was cast in their 1989 thriller, Eyewitness to Murder. At the time... Both Amritraj and Mundra, they were busy trying to prove a point. Hmm. Amritraj was a former tennis pro trying to make a name for himself as a movie producer. And Mundra, who before coming to Hollywood, he'd only had a pair of then very unfashionable Hindi movies to his credit. He was trying to show American investors, producers and distributors that he could make commercial American-style movies with the likes of horror flicks Open House and Hack O'Lantern and the serial killer thriller The Jigsaw Murders, which Corman would release into theatres. As Stevens, Amritraj and Mundra were finishing up Eyewitness to Murder, though, uh, which again, Eyewitness to Murder was a film that Corman would go on to distribute, mm-hmm. Stevens, he'd started frequenting various film markets, such as Cannes and the AFM. Yeah. Uh, while there, he noticed that there was big, big demand for what he called body heat and fatal attraction type stories, basically the kind of stuff that we would now term the erotic thriller. Yeah. As such, he and his writing partner, a man by the name of Tom Satrano, they quickly came up with something called Night Eyes. And once finished, they presented the Night Eyes script to Amritraj, who, by all accounts, was absolutely over the moon. In his mind, Night Eyes was exactly the sort of trendy, market-friendly material he was looking for, particularly as it could be done for a price, since it was like low-key enough in terms of locations, uh, speaking parts and action and stuff like that. Amritraj bought the Night Eye script, signed Stevens up to start and co-produce, and hired Mundra to direct it. The result was that Night Eyes became a cultural behemoth. Mm, it mm. was made for $750,000, but it went on to gross a whopping $30 million worldwide. Um, its success essentially opened the floodgates for what's now a home entertainment phenomenon. Body chemistry, that might have helped initiate the director video erotic thriller, but it was Night Eyes that really, and it cannot be stressed enough, this subgenre on the map. What's the matter? That's Mrs. Walker's bedroom under there. Yeah. Don't you get it? Walker and his lawyer agreed to let the missus use the house without a fight. They want us to get something on her. Catch her with other men. I don't believe this. We're supposed to be protecting this woman. Now we're spying on her? Look, first of all, Brian hired us. And he's paying us. And she's suing him for divorce, saying he's a sleazeball. Doesn't that give him the right to find out what she's been up to? I don't like it, Ernie. 
I don't like it well, at all. I don't like it either, little brother. But we need the work. I have a, a, a curious relationship with the Night Eyes series. Mm. I I I love it. I love Night Eyes 2, I love Night mm. Eyes 3, and I love Night Eyes 4. <laughs> but the first film, despite mm. my unwavering love for Ashok Amritraj, Jag Mundra, and Andrew Stevens, mm. and despite how influential the film would become, I really think that Night Eyes, it's more interesting for its historical value than it is to actually watch as a movie. Right, so everyone can now fast forward to 17 minutes. There's been a lot of debate as to what came first. Mm-hmm. I don't mean chicken and the egg, I mean, you know, Night Eyes. <laughs> uh, because, I mean, David Andrews, for example, in his book Soft in the Middle, he suggests that Night Eyes doesn't even qualify as a softcore film. Um, Which is a very strange sort of statement to make. But David Andrews stipulates that to be a softcore film, you must have eight to twelve moments of stimulation. Okay, all right. Fair. He's very rigid. I imagine he's a fun lover. <laughs> that is a very rigid. But he, he argues that Carnal Crimes mm. might have snuck in there first. But I disagree with that. He says that, that Greg Dark was thinking about that as early as nineteen eighty nine. But Carnal Crimes didn't come out till ninety one. Mm. Whereas here, you've got Night Eyes and Body Chemistry pretty much neck and neck, mm. aren't they? I mean, there were two days between them. You know, I, th- I think Night Eyes commenced filming on the 27th of November, and then Body Chemistry was, was two days later. Mm. So, I mean, th- th- you can't separate these. Th- there was definitely something in the air mm. at the time, and I think it's more happenstance than anything. But, yeah. but, you know, Body Chemistry was the film that was released first. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, Night Eyes, it did start shooting two days beforehand. Mm. Um, so it's based on a true story, of course. <laughs> well, you, you give your, your angle on this. Okay, so the actual plot of the film, Stephen stars as a fellow by the name of Will Griffith, a private security specialist that's hired by this sort of awful, permed, fading rock star played by Warwick Sims to keep watch on his estranged wife, who's played by Tanya Roberts. Supposedly, Griffith, he's there for the Tanya Roberts character, a woman by the name of Nikki Walker, he's there for her protection, but of course, it's a front... Um, with Nikki and her husband divorcing, what husband wants? He wants some video recorded dirt on her to yeah. sort of thwart her claims against him. And for the most part, it's the perfect plan until Griffith and Nikki begin falling for each other. But with this being erotic thriller territory, is this supposedly put upon housewife really as she seems? Mm. Now, the whole rock star affairs with a rock star's wife thing, that. Apparently, according to a 1997 interview that Jag Mundra gave to Rediff.com, that was inspired by Stevens's own affair with one of Rod Stewart's ex-wives. Um, as Mundra explained, one night, as Andrew was quietly slipping out of Rod Stewart's house, a security guard came up to him and said, Good night, Mr. Stevens. He then realised that the entire house was bugged. Well, I think that's a very tabloid-baiting um, <laughs> recollection from Mr. Mundra, who's, who's sadly no longer with us. But having having got the story from the horse's mouth, you know, Mr. Stevens himself, mm. who states quite simply that Will Griffith was based on a security guard that he knew in real life when he was an actor and the guard was protecting a very famous woman. And that sounds more... Uh, that's 
far you more know. plausible. After yes. all, who would come out on public record to admitting to dicking one of Rod Stewart's exes behind his back? Far less litigious, also. <laughs> um, you know, I'm half tempted just to get out my crucifix and start crucifying the movie. Hammer it. But there is, as much as I'm not a fan of Night Eyes, mm. there is a lot of good within it. For one, the voyeuristic premise, I think it's absolutely yeah. irresistible. The whole security footage thing, the sort of, you know, the plot point that would become the crux of the series, I think that's wonderful. It's just such a marvellous hook to a film like this. Yeah, surveillance erotica in general is a really appealing thing. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe yeah. Maybe voyeur. Um, but I don't, I don't think it was that widely done. You would have thought that Night Eyes would have, you know led to a whole stream mm. of voyeuristic films um, although there were, were voyeuristic films from the point of a security yeah. angle there weren't many lipstick camera was one of them had 1994 mm. but aside from that there weren't many that did follow the, the nighttime suit um, but yeah that, that's done absolutely perfect but I think does your issue lie with the, the relationship between Stevens and and yes, yes. I mean, you know a yes, bit more about Roberts, don't you? Yes. It, it's twofold, really. First, Tanya Roberts, mm. at the time of, of Night Eyes and sort of ground zero for the straight-to-video erotic thriller, Tanya Roberts, she was the first sort of steam queen, yeah. as it were, as they were getting called in the pages of femme fatales and stuff back then. Um, and thanks to Night Eyes, you know, she, she'd go on to appear in Fred Olin Ray's Inner Sanctum, Jim Winorski's Sins of Desire, mm. and she'd work with Mundra again on Legal Tender. But my issue is, as well as the fact that she was apparently an absolute nightmare <laughs> on every set in the 90s, was that her and Stevens just don't have any sort of chemistry. Stevens is very much... In, in what we said in the body chemistry films, where in number three ways in that sort of like, oh, shucks kind of mode. And I yeah. think that's very much a shtick on his part. I, th- I think it is, because like, I think Linda Ruth Williams called him prime beefcake. Mm. But I think generally, I think he is the straightest man ever to appear in a... In a yeah. I don't mean straightest in sexuality, I mean straightest in, you know, that oh, yeah, shucks. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, there's, it, it's all. I always get a sense for in these in in the erotics that Stevens does. As much as I respect him as a producer, as much as I think he's a wonderful, wonderful director in the stuff that mm. he'd go on to direct. Particularly when we get talking about Night Eyes Three, which which he helmed. As much as I like him in that capacity, when it comes to him starring in erotics and stuff, and it is exclclusively erotics mm-hmm. because in his Mundra and Amritraj's preceding pair of Eyewitness to Murder, yeah, he. You know, he does have complexities. He does have mm, a darkness mm. to his character. But when it comes to the TNA flicks, it's almost like he's scared of the implications of how it would mm. make him look if he was playing just a horn dog who wants to get his end away. There always has to be this sort of virtuous quality to every character he plays in a straight to video erotic thriller. And the, and the the problem for me lies in that when it comes to conveying the passion and the lust mm. and the frenzy of wanting to rip off his on-screen shagging <laughs> partner's clothes, it doesn't translate well. And if you look here in, in Night Eyes, mm. there's, you know, the, the sex scenes, they're all nicely choreographed, yeah. but there's just no spark between them. It's very mechanical. It's very formulaic. According to Mr. Walker, Yesterday, you intruded on a discussion he was having with his wife, and then you accosted him physically. 
you checked with any one of the few dozen witnesses there, you probably got a different story. Well, I hope you got their names, because you'll be calling up for work soon. Would you care to explain, Mr. Griffith? Quite frankly, sir, I saved your client's butt yesterday. He was out of line, and I stepped in. I don't think it would have helped Mr. Walker's case very much if he'd have made the National Enquirer for insulting and harassing his wife in public. And if he needs a bodyguard to keep his nose clean, I suggest you hire one, because that's not part of my job. I did you a favor, free of charge. But if you want to fire me for it, sir, you go right ahead. Why is it I believe him, Brian? He's screwing my wife. I think you need to look at the scene where he's he's at home by himself. And he's like chilling on the couch, yeah, on the couch with his mm. snatch blanket pulled up to his chin. And he's got his dog, Butch, who's credited as Butch Stevens. Yeah, his actual dog at the time. <laughs> his, his actual dog. Uh, I think came back for that nice too. Yeah, well. yeah, returning uh, character. But no, we'll speak about it for number four, I think, more so. But it seems like he was always looking forward. I don't think he... With the Night Eyes films, I don't think he was ever focused that much on the role he was playing. He was more mm. thinking about what he was going to do. It's like when we spoke to him, he said that as far as the character in me as an actor, it was merely a vehicle and a necessary evil at the time to continue acting in those roles until I became established enough to have to like get behind the camera and never yeah, have to yeah. do it again. And that's the key word, never have to do it again. Yeah. It kind of looks like each role is the last role and... You know, will this be the one that finally I can go away and just Yeah, produce? finally I can focus all my energies on becoming a mogul, mm. which is ultimately yeah, what he yeah. wanted to do. You know, and it, and it is a shame because, as, as we said, the voyeurism stuff is wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that the film is gorgeous, gorgeously lit and shot mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. cinematographer James Mathers. I think that it is just such a wonderful, floaty, dreamlike, shadowy film for a lot of the yeah. time. And... As as much of a lack of a physical chemistry there is in the sex scenes, mm. I think that Mavis's photography is marvellous in those moments, and yeah. certainly Mundra, who would... You know, it, it's very difficult to... I don't want to talk too much about Mundra as director because we've got an episode in the pipeline that mm-hmm. is just devoted to him. Because yeah. for my money, he is... He, he was, sorry, one of the most intriguing voices of mm. erotic thrillism, right up there with Gregory Dark in terms of like his style and his, his the way that he would express sensuality and things like that, and even romance because mm. Mundra's erotics are very romantic movies mm. at their mm. core as well as being quite saucy and steamy. Yeah, uh, and there is elements of that in Night Eyes again. The, the love scenes as as, as drab they are in terms of performance, they are quite imaginatively staged and blocked and mm. things like that. And, and Mundra always knows where to put his camera. It's just a shame that for a lot of Night Eyes' runtime, for me at least, it feels like he's just floundering for something to do. But I think in that respect, with what he's got to work with, he does mm. all right. I mean, 90% of the film is filmed in the one location. Mm. Um, it's a very opulent franchise, isn't it? And, mm. and this is the, probably the most opulent of the of, of the four. You know, compare that to body chemistry. I wouldn't say body chemistry is working class. Mm. If you had to compare the two in in you know society stature, yeah, yeah, you would say that Night Eyes is very much caters to. You're looking at the lives of millionaires. Yeah, this is beautiful rich people. Yeah in bed yeah. together basically mm-hmm. that's what it is and it, it is all about like it's shot in this plush Malibu homestead mm. and that place is such a great great location yeah, yeah. and it's amazing again what, what Mundra and 
what Mundra and Mavers do with such things as like candles and billowing curtains and mm. stuff. And I don't just mean, you know, the candle wax dripping on Andrew <laughs> Stevens a few years before Willem Dafoe and Madonna did it in Body of Evidence. That, that really uh, aggravated Mundra, didn't it? Mm. The fact that so many, uh, I think there's a couple of other sequences in his other films, which of course we'll get to in other episodes, that were eventually copied in more mm. high-profile films, and that candle wax scene is exactly yeah, the, yeah. The, sort of the prime example. And he was very bitter about that, mm. uh, and rightly so. I mean, you know, I think um, in in that extent as well, a lot of a lot of Tanya Roberts's subsequent erotic thrillers, she sort of she takes a lot of the movements that mm. were choreographed between her and Stevens by Mundra. She takes a lot of them from Night Eyes. Like, you've got the chair scene, which contains mm. what I call the Robert Straddle, <laughs> which was repeated again in, in A Sanctum. Yeah. You know, and I think, yeah, that, like, people, as well as Night Eyes going on to be tremendously successful financially, and the sole reason for that was basically people wanted to see Tanya Roberts naked. Mm. That's why. It had a strong ad campaign, it was a sexy story, and it promised Tanya Roberts in the buff. You know, which in the days before things like Mr. Skin, nip, nip slip websites and things like that, this was a way to get your jollies off and see celebrities without having to, you know, without the aid of the internet. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of the stylistic influence, sort of circling mm. back around to that point, that with it being such a big hit, just as, you know, Stevens was inspired to write the script by watching Body Heat and Fatal yeah. Attraction it would make sense that people would pinch Roberts's signature manoeuvres yeah, and various yeah. aspects from the sex scenes because, oh, well, Night Eyes was a hit. Let's try and copy elements of that. Mm. And that you know, that's how entire subgenres work for. You know, that's why you ended up with a, a wealth of slasher films following Halloween and Friday the 13th. It might be reaching, but do you think there's a gothic element to this? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I can, I can, I can see that there's certainly... Like a, an oniric dreamlike quality hmm. and stuff to it. It wasn't me saying this, obviously. <laughs> I, thought, <laughs> I thought you'd raised a, an excellent critical point. Sadly not. It's Nina K. Martin who, okay. uh, who, who raises it quite eloquently in her book Sexy Thrills. The entire premise of the Night Eyes franchise, she says, falls under the gothic genre, the expression of fear through the presence of a threatening house. And I quite like that. Oh, that's very good. It really yeah. does. Uh, oh. It makes it sound a lot like there's a lot more to it a little than bit. it actually is. <laughs> I'm willing to hold on to that. <laughs> Maybe by the fingertips, but that, that's fine. I'll take that. Night Eyes was released on home video on the 31st of May 1990 in America, and it shifted 40,000 units in its first few weeks. As we said at the start, it went on to gross over $30 million mm-hmm. in revenue, which made the desire for a sequel mm-hmm. absolutely essential. Yeah, I mean, this... To sort of put it into context again, to go back to what I said, this was in the days where you couldn't just go in, into the video store and rent mm. porn. It wasn't mm. just a case of firing up you know, Google and yeah. searching for all the muck you can lay your <laughs> eyes on. Back then as well, this was much safer than hiring pornography. Mm. It was ostensibly to look at. Yes, it was a very sexy and steamy film, but it had a plot. It was a real movie. You could hire it under the pretense that you weren't just getting it to oogle Tanya Roberts, basically. Mm. And then, um, as well as shifting a shitload of video copies and things like that, 
a lot of it would rest upon licensing to cable TV, where the film would eventually play on the likes of Cinemax, Mm. you know, on the Cinemax After Dark strand, or Mm -hmm. what people colloquially refer to as Skinemax. We'll get to the sort of, I guess, the British release of it, because Night Eyes, I guess, isn't quite as iconic in England Mm -hmm. as it is over in America. But as you say, its success, its immediate success, even before it brought in all this money from around the world, it pretty much guaranteed that a sequel would be made. And that sequel would come to fruition in 1991 with the cleverly entitled Night Eyes 2. Thank you for attending to our crises on such short notice. I am Consul General Hector Mejenes. Will Griffith, Night Eyes Security. And? Uh, This is my new associate, Jesse Younger. Nice to meet you. Yeah, we worked together in the Air Force, Special Investigations Office. I taught him everything he knows. Your uh, head of security explained that there was an attack here yesterday. Yes, and thanks to Luis, my wife and I are lucky to be alive. Nevertheless, we have decided to have a security system installed throughout our house. But no uniforms and no visible weapons. Now, Luis already has a plan laid out for you to follow. Well, of course, we'll cover all the doors and windows. But I'd also like to install a series of interior traps. Ultrasonic motion detectors, pressure pads, maybe even some exterior infrared beams. So for the sequel, although a lot of people from behind the scenes return, like um, Andrew Stevens and Ashok Amritraj, someone new came in by the name of Michael Potts, who not only would contribute to the script of Night Eyes 2, but also for Night Eyes 3 as well. Um, Michael goes all the way back to 1980 with Ashok Amritraj. Uh, when we interviewed him a couple of years ago, he said how he met Ashok back in 1980, just after he'd moved to LA, because he was a Southern California contributing editor for India West, a newspaper that catered exclusively to the Asian Indian community in California. Uh, they became friends, and he'd write plenty of stories about him and his brothers, be it about tennis or their business ventures. And this relationship continued. Um, I think he was going to do a script for one or two things that never really came off mm-hmm. um, because Amritraj was really pleased with the way he could, could like structure a story and that sort of thing um, and Vinayas Pot said that that the only compliment that Andrew Stevens ever gave him was uh, that his story structure was impeccable and his scripts moved like bullets <laughs> that's, that's um, good praise though that's, that's good praise good, yeah. but he does add to that that is the only nice thing that Stevens ever said about me. <laughs> so there's, there's something there. I don't know. I don't know quite what it is, but there's something between mm. these two guys. Anyway, uh, obviously, um, Michael said that Night Eyes turned out to be this huge commercial hit, and Ashok and Andrew Stevens were keen to ride on the success and make a sequel. Ashok and Andrew had some rough ideas of the kind of film that they wanted to make, and Michael then turned in a story based on their suggestions, mm. which then led to the new director, Rodney MacDonald, uh, having a marathon eight-hour rewrite session to fine-tune the script. Mm. Um, so Rodney MacDonald is is the new guy in here. Yeah, yeah. When Stevens and Amritraj would go off to set up Royal Oaks a few years later, mm. MacDonald was one of the guys that they brought in to do a couple of their uh, military hardware thrillers. Yeah. And as much... I think that Night Eyes 2 is a better film as a whole Mm. than the first Night Eyes 
I do think that the original Night Eyes, Jag Mundra is a much more stylish and atmospheric mm. filmmaker yeah. than Rodney MacDonald. Yeah. Mundra is much more of a craftsman and an artisan. Mm. But he, of course, by this point, he, I take it he was off doing his own thing. He was doing the, the, the better Mundra erotics. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that MacDonald, that he's not a good pair of hands, no. but that's just exactly what he is. Mm-hmm. He's a reliable, dependable journeyman rather than an artiste, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this film tonally is very, very different from the first film. There's no mm. noir element in, in any way. Mm. Um, so we've got a new addition in the cast. There's no Tanya Roberts. There's now... Shannon Tweed. Mm-hmm. The Queen. The Queen. Or as Nina K. Martin called them, the Tom Cruise and Julia Roberts of the erotic thriller mm-hmm. genre. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is right. Same height, Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stevens, he's Will Griffith again. Mm-hmm. And this time, he and Night Eyes, his security firm, they're hired to watch over a South American diplomat and his wife after an assassination attempt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Griffith, of course, is soon got his head turned mm. by the wife, who is played <laughs> by Shannon Tweed, and yeah. rightly so, whose head would not be turned by her. And soon they're wham-bam-banging, basically. Yeah. But with sort of in keeping with Stevens' love of fairly wholesome qualities to these films, it's because they fall in love mm. together. That's why. And it turns out that... Tweed's character that she's actually Stevens is freeing her isn't he absolutely because she's trapped she's trapped by the (laughs) inherited wealth of her family and she's trapped by her rich diplomat husband and she's deathly unhappy Mm -hmm. and although it probably sounds like I'm taking the piss with that I actually (laughs) and to a certain extent yes I am yeah uh, I do though I do think in terms of performance, I think this is one of Shannon Tweed's greatest, greatest roles. I reckon. I, I, I really do. So I think we see a side of Tweed in this film that we don't often see. It, it's kind of fitting, really, because it sort of fits alongside the film that Mundra was making at the time, Last Call, which Tweed was also in. Mm. In both Last Call and Night Eyes 2... Tweed's very, very playful. She's very warm, very frivolous, very light-hearted, which, when you look at the later erotics that she would do, generally that's not how she's presented. She's more presented how she is in, like, body chemistry for, as a bit of, like, an ice queen, someone who's cold mm. and more calculating and things like that. But I really, really do love the this mixture of a caged bird quality that she sort of has mm-hmm. uh, with this down-to-earth girl-next-door type. And I just think that it's it really... She she just submits such a wonderful, multifaceted turn. Yeah. A lot of people, having seen Night Eyes 1, will be expecting a continuation almost. Mm-hmm. But is this the same Will Griffith from Night Eyes 1? I don't know. It is Will Griffith, obviously. It's Will, it's Will Griffith, but... But is it the same? It's, <sighs> it, it's not... It's, it's like a parallel universe, Will Griffith, mm. isn't it? Well, for one, he drops his sort of cowboy accent that yeah. he had in the first film, mm-hmm. which was very distracting at times, considering as it sort of drifted in and out <laughs> the first film. Uh, but he is, and he, it, it, it goes back to the body chemistry thing. Mm. Like, they're designed to be continuations, but not, aren't yeah. they, the Night Eyes films? They're... they're I mean, let's be honest, they're designed for titillation, aren't they? Mm-hmm. So I'm fairly sure that the people who've hired these movies to, 
you know, pump themselves blind to it. <laughs> they probably couldn't give a shit, but it's not the same Will Griffith exactly. Speak for yourself. <laughs> but, yeah, it's... It, he's the same character insofar as that he's still the head of a security firm called yeah. Night Eyes. Mm-hmm. And that's really what all you need. You didn't seem all that uncomfortable tonight. Oh, that's my public face. Smiling till your cheeks ache, searching for the proper words, the perfect gesture to make everyone feel at ease. So what's the private face like? I don't know, I forgot. I used to have one. I came from an incredibly wealthy family. I was an only child, sent to an all-girls school in La Jolla, complete with uniforms. We were taught how to be proper young ladies. (laughs) Of course, me being the rebel, I used to sneak out of the doormat at night I'll hang out with the surfers. Come on. <laughs> I was a little more impetuous then. When I was expelled, my parents were devastated. It's too bad they couldn't be around to see how disgustingly respectable I've become. Uh, you were saying about Channel Tweed before. It is a weird sort of comparison between that sexually frustrated housewife versus the femme fatale of mm. number one. I wonder why they went in such a, a different direction. Or does it matter? doesn't matter as long as you get the requisite mm, quantity um, of sex scenes. I, I mean, and, and in that sense, there is a lot more sex in this picture than yeah. there is in the first one. And it's it's spread out much more. Whereas really the first Night Eyes, it tends to be a lot more sex from like the last half of the film. Mm-hmm. Whereas in here, it's, you know, it's interspersed much more, uh, much more liberally, shall we say. Yeah, I'd say that. I mean... I'm not a huge fan of this film. I'd probably put it on a par with the first film. Mm. Uh, I think there are elements of it that just don't fit for me. Mm. Uh, one of which is Timothy Leach's score. I just mm. find it too jaunty. It's like a home shopping network channel yeah. thing, you know, where they pause and they give you like two minutes to go and buy the product. It's a little bit like that. It doesn't really suit the whole dynamic of the film. Mm. There is a certain sort of weird giddy and silly mm. side of it and not in sort of not in a way that we'd go as we'll go on to talk about in Night Eyes 3 and Night Eyes 4 where it's done almost oh let's be as over the top and as decadent as possible you know mm. let's 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 jump the shark a little bit and play with the movies uh, and play with the Night Eyes series form here it's just sort of like there's that bizarre scene where Tweed and Stevens are in a bookshop and it's played <laughs> like Benny Hill style. It is, isn't it? It's, 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 a, it's a weird sequence. Because mm. um, mm. you've got, you know, obviously Tweed and um, and Stevens kind of flirting in this bookshop and, you know, they're, they're both faking reading books while standing against bookshelves. And then you've got this quite um, interesting voyeur Mm. who feels that he's being come on to by a geeky voyeur who feels as though he's being encouraged by Shannon Tweed Mm. to kind of come in and watch her Uh, and they do this this voyeur and Tweed share this glance between a bookshelf Mm. and then the camera pans down to see Andrew Stevens at uh, well crouching (laughs) let's just say crouching Um, and and, 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 yeah yeah. And, and, and I do get there is there is a sort of weird imbalance to, to, to the rest of it as well like the fireside romp that mm. Stevens and, and Tweed has it's very it's very gentle and loving and romantic and stuff whereas if you compare it to like Gregory Dark erotics which are yeah. these where, where it's just men who are just crippled by lust <laughs> and stuff whereas this it's you know you've got 
You've got them rubbing raspberries on Tweed's tits in a very sensual manner, and it's it's really quite. It, 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 it's it's very wholesome sex. It's like someone's trying to be kinky, mm. but they're not quite sure how, and they don't want to go whole the whole way. They don't want to be kink shamed. They don't want to do something a little bit risque. So they'll try and make it rude, but just rude and dirty enough where they won't get ridiculed. Yeah, I also feel it suffers from being the Andrew and Shannon show. Mm. You know, the, the, the supporting people like the, the, her husband, Hector Mahenas, uh, played by Richard Chavez, isn't really a major character. Mm. Uh, mm. Likewise, the weird Luis, played by Gino Silva, doesn't really jump off the screen after you. I, mm. I he, he kind of like fades the back. He, he's and then, a he just sp- then he just springs up. Yeah. Where, where once, once the actual... Because the actual plot mm. suddenly kicks into gear towards the last third, kind of, whereby, kind of yeah, yeah, where like... So before all that, you've got all Tweed and Stevens falling in love after this initial assassination attempt, mm-hmm. which is very, very well done at yeah. the film start. But yeah. then at the back end of the film, it suddenly becomes that someone has mm. been recording Tweed and Stevens shagging, yeah. mm-hmm. and they're using it against them, blah, 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 blah. Mm. And then all of a sudden, yeah, Gino Silver's character, he, he just springs up as this major force to be reckoned with, mm. only for that to then completely swerve and it be someone else. Yeah. Um. I do say though, I, I do think though, on the subject of Gino Silver, we do, do, do need to point out the obligatory days of our lives and Silk Stalking's connection <laughs> as he appeared in that. Although he's probably most famous for playing the Skull in Scarface, oh, which right. is of course the the one uh, the assassin who kills uh, Tony Montana. At the film's finale. We started off talking about Michael Potts and obviously how he came to write the script uh, for this. But if you do somehow manage to track down a copy of Night Eyes 2, you probably won't see Michael Potts' name on the film. No, no. Um, so let's explain that. When we interviewed Michael, he said that one day, Ashok called him into his office and said, I've got good news and i got bad news. <laughs> the good news is that you're going to write Night Eyes 2. The bad news you're going to have to write it under a different name. Uh, the reason for this was it turned out that Barbara Javits, an executive at Trimark, didn't like Michael Potts. Uh, he doesn't know why, but that was just the case. Uh, meanwhile, Simon Levy was an actor friend of Michael's from college, who later made quite a name for himself in, as a director in a San Francisco theatre scene. At the time, he was in L.A., need of a job, so he teamed up and brainstormed the storyline. So after that, um, Potts said that his job was just to write the script and Simon's job was to attend the production meetings of the script writer Simon Louis Ward they came up with that name by combining Simon's first and middle name with his middle name Javits though did suspect that the script uh, was from him because of the font that he used <laughs> which is you know that's Sherlock Holmes personified but you know when Night Eyes 2 well, according to Potts, anyway, when Night Eyes 2 turned out to be a bigger hit than Night Eyes 1, her opinion of him did soften with the royalty checks and uh, <laughs> obviously licensing agreements coming in. Before we move on to Night Eyes 3, I just want to pick up on a little strand that you said there about Trimark's oh, involvement yeah. in it. Of course, the film, the first Night Eyes was released stateside by Prism. Yeah. Uh, as was that Night... Pr- Prism logo, I mean... Uh, sorry, I'm not one for fetishizing logos. Oh, it is great. Isn't that it, is a great yeah, that's logo. That's a good one. That yeah. should be like that should be as <laughs> fetishized as uh, Vestron. Yeah, I think like in the that. first film, I th- yeah. in the first film, that was the horniest I got watching the film. <laughs> but the logo came up in the first five seconds. But yes, Trimark. So 
And then Trimark, they were involved in the financing mm. of Night Eyes 2. And what's interesting about that is, is that if you look at each of the either distributors or financiers of the entire Night Eyes series, each movie is connected to one of the biggest uh, purveyors of direct-to-video fodder right. of the era. For example, Prism, they were churning out straight-to-video content like no other. Mm. So that's Night Eyes 1. Night Eyes 2, Trimark, probably, what for my money, my personal favourite of all the direct-to-video companies out there. They'd hit pay dirt with the likes of Leprechaun and The Dentist and generally more horror-y things. Night Eyes 3, that was distributed by Mark Damon Productions. Right. Matt Damon, of course, he was uh, originally an actor. He'd appeared in Roger Corman's uh, The Pit and the Pendulum, I believe, if you want to keep the Corman connection going. Um, and he would he was one of the people who found great success with two very influential 80s erotic thrillers that would really impact on the 90s cycle, and that was Nine and a Half Weeks and Wild Orchid. Mm. And it was Mark Damon who would go on to sort of refine the direct-to-video erotic thriller in the wake of the original Night Eyes when he decided to mount a rival sort of, a sort of riposte to Night Eyes in the form of Inner Sanctum which Fred Olden Ray would direct. Mm. And then if you look at Night Eyes 4, uh, that was the, one of among the first batch of productions that Andrew Stevens and Ashok Amritraj would conceive under their Royal Oaks banner. Right. So again, four of the biggest and most influential companies of 90s direct-to-videodom each had a hand in each of the Night Eyes films, which I just personally think is something interesting. You know, I remember when you first got in this business. You were working out of your garage. It was you, your brother, and that dog. And I could never figure out which of the three of you was the most useless. But I gotta hand it to you. You persevered. I'm trying to work here, Cassidy. You succeeded. In a paltry sort of way. My operation's so paltry, why are you so hot to buy me out? How about you bring it down annually, anyway? <laughs> That's none of your business. But I'm sure you have all the information right at your fingertips. Oh, nice manicure, by the way. Oh, thank you. Check out the material on the suit. That's woolen cashmere. This is a $1,000 suit. I've got image, Will, and the people in Beverly Hills, they love image. And you embarrass yourself every time you walk around in one of those polyester rent-a-cop outfits. So with Night Eyes 2 in the bag, they decided to go for Night Eyes 3. Or as I like to call it, a very Night Eyes Christmas. I like that. Yeah, because it's, it's a Christmas movie. There's mm. tinsel, there's Christmas music on the radio. Ponsettas. Yeah, exactly. Christmas movie. Mm. Now, according to Stevens, he told us that Night Eyes 2, as far as he was concerned, wasn't a very good film creatively. And we might agree. <laughs> However, the movies made so much money, he said, for respective distributors, that they were anxious to do Night Eyes 3. And I wrote the script... Again, based on another personal experience of mine, <coughs> and directed the film. <laughs> now, Stevens is very clear in what he says there. I wrote the script and directed the film. Now, unfortunately, Michael Potts tends to disagree with him on this front. He says that yes, Andrew did write an original script that was meant to be filmed as Night Times 3. However, both distributors rejected Andrew's script. Ashok originally assigned the rewrite to Brent Morris, his associate producer. 
Brent declined, saying he was busy trying to keep the office running smoothly while Ashok was in India. So Ashok then told Brent to give me a call and have me do the rewrite. I agreed. I was told he had seven days to turn in a draft in order to keep the financing or some financial arrangement in place. I read the script. I told Andrew it needed a page one rewrite, to which he agreed. So we met at his house for two days straight and hammered out a new storyline. Five days later, I turned in the script. And after reading it, Andrew called me and said he had made a few tweaks here and there. The only major tweak I could see was his changing the ethnicity of the housekeeper from Latino to Irish. No idea why. No <laughs> idea why. Anyway, um, to Potts, this did seem a strange thing, since in Southern California, it is notorious for Latino housekeepers and other staff. Nevertheless, when he was invited to the eventual premiere of the film, he was stunned to see that Andrew listed himself as the screenwriter, when in fact, according to Potts, 98% of the script was written solely by me. If anything, he deserves story credit for the ideas he contributed, but he had done none of the actual writing, structuring, or dialogue. To add insult to injury, I was relegated to second place in a smaller font, and he spelt my name wrong. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's a really sad story. I feel sorry for Michael. Mm. Especially mm. how he, he titles all his emails. Hello from Michael in Bangkok. Um, yeah, it, it's really quite sad, that. Uh, and again, you know, we, we love Andrew Stevens dearly and his contribution to... To, 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 to direct a video to him. His contribution is just... It's second to ah, none. It's second, second to none. To none. I think, well, you know, he, he's up there with Carmen. Yeah. yeah. In terms of the amount of amazing B-movies he made for the video era. Mm. Without without question. But as a person, I, I struggle really liking him. Like on screen? On screen and also, you know, off screen as well. Mm. I, I mm. think there's, there's something about the guy because you speak to all kinds of people who do similar kind of mogulish mm. things. You know, you speak to Fred and Jim, um, and they're very different people. That there's a real, you feel a real affinity for what they're doing. They're mm. passionate, but speaking to Stevens, he's a little bit distance from it. it it's it's a financial game of chess almost. Mm. It's not about the artistry. It's not about about the films or mm. the content or the actors, or the scripts. It's more about the distribution. Mm. And that kind of... It's about making money, isn't it? That's about, I, 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 I mean, didn't want to I, be so abrupt. I, so I, filthy, I admire yeah. him for that. And mm. I do think that, to a certain extent, that as much of a mercenary, money-oriented producer he is, there mm. are certain traits and flourishes within his work, particularly the erotic stuff, which, as I've said, and I think Night Eyes Free is a great, great example of this, that wholesome quality to it, which mm. makes me... I do... Uh, as much as what Michael said about he wrote most of the script, I do think there's some... There's a, there's, there's a lot of Stevenisms mm. in there, particularly... You know, the, the script, it goes... So we, Will Griffith is back. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Shannon Tweed is back. However, mm-hmm. she's a completely different character <laughs> to who she played in the in Night Eyes Two. Yeah, it's a it's, it's a complete restart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very confusing. Mm. Made even more confusing by the fact that Tweed's real life sister 
Tracy Tweed that she's cast in the film as well, but not as Shannon Tweed's character's sister, but as an acting rival on Mm. a soapy sort of cop show that Tweed's character and Tracy Tweed's character (laughs) are acting in. And as a child. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And that's the thing, right? If you stick with me on this, because it is such a a tangle. The actual script for Night Eyes 3, it goes out of its way to paint Will Griffith and, as such, Andrew Stevens Mm. as an amazing, virtuous guy. It is, (laughs) without question, complete Mary Sue material. Mm. You know, there's a line that Tweed says, and it cracks me up every fucking time, (laughs) where she says, it's basically because of, as you said, there's a child involved. Mm. Stevens is character Griffith here, now he has a nine-year-old daughter, and he is... He's the most amazing dad in the world. But at the same time, he's too devoted to his security job. But it's okay his daughter understands because his daughter understands that he is protecting people because he's a good, good man. (laughs) But this line absolutely cracks me up where from almost from completely out of nowhere, apropos of nothing, (laughs) Shannon Tweed's character just comes out with, you have a beautiful daughter and and you are a fantastic lover. Like, that's just ego-stroking, surely, Ooh. on Stevens's part. Just yeah, pure yeah. ego-stroking. And it is complete Mary Mary Sue material. Yeah. And, I, and I think that you can also... This weird moralistic bent to it is, mm. is it's further emphasised by the plot hinging on, on a moral clause. Yeah. Because this time, obviously, what happens is that uh, the Griffith character, he's hired to protect Tweed's actress, mm. um, gets involved with her... Someone, someone from a rival security firm who's trying to... It's like window cleaners, you know, where oh, window yeah. cleaners mm. have their patch mm. and stuff like that. So too, apparently, the security firms <laughs> to the rich and famous. So Tweed ends up bedding Will Griffith. Uh, and one of Griffith's rivals who wants to get all his contracts and things like that, mm. they want to become the big company to celebrities like Night Eyes. Is. Yeah. They end up videoing him romping with Shannon Tweed. And if that comes out, Griffith will get fired for bedding a client and Tweed will get kicked off her successful TV show because of the moral clause in the contract. And I just think that it just sort of underlines this weirdly puritanical belief of what I'm guessing Stevens in real life has. Why do they always put angels on the top of trees? Well, my grandma used to tell me that it's to remind us that God's angels are always watching over us, especially at Christmas time. You're lucky. Why? Because you had a grandma. I never met mine. Oh, well, it's okay. You've got me now. (laughs) (laughs) Smile, girls. Hi, Daddy. Hi, Daddy. It is the best film in the in the franchise, mm, perhaps. Mm, completely, yeah. You know, you know it, it's not a bad thing that it has this puritanical no, no, no. and moralistic streak. You know, I, I love the fact that it, it, you know, Christmas, family values, bad guys that are dishonest and thoroughly mm. unnoble. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's basically good people, Stevens and Tweed, against bad, nasty people, mm, mm. and yeah, it, it, it. You know, I love the fact that it's all that with the added bonus of a few. Few scenes of shagging. Yeah, I mean, in, in compared to the second film, it's a complete contrast mm. um, with regard to characters and the storyline. I mean, the amount of narrative strands you've got in this film—you've got the ex-boyfriend, mm-hmm. yeah, you've got the competitor, mm. yeah, you've got the kid, 
you've got the Silk Stalkings TV show, mm, which is well, Silk Stalkings. Yeah, the Silk Stalkings yeah. style TV show. <laughs> what what is Sweet Justice? Sweet Justice. Yeah, and you've got the sex scandal. Mm. So you've got these five elements going on. You've got four bad guys. You've, mm. you've got Stanton, Cassidy, Danny, and even Tracy Tweed to some extent. Mm. I mean. It's 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 crammed. It's packed. There's not yeah. a dull moment in this film. It, 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 it mm. flies, and and it's got this weird sort of meta-referential quality because, mm. as you say, that TV show is patented after things like Silk Stockings, yeah. those yeah. sort of trashy and a little bit sexy TV shows, and then you've got the whole, you know, the the, uh, the Tweed's ex-boyfriend character. He's he's dressed in a callback to Warwick Sims in the first movie with this giant poodle head <laughs> mullet. Mm, mm, mm. Um, Do you find you find it like weird that Night Eyes Three it, it has this meta edge, and so the body chemistry three as well? It is very strange how they both yeah mm. they, they both seem to be they do almost belong in the same universe, yeah. particularly as well going again going back to their weird or shucksy, puritanical, <laughs> moralistic bent to them. Mm, mm. Um, they both as well, I think we said it about Body Chemistry 3, that compared to Body Chemistry and Body Chemistry 2, Body Chemistry 3's sex scenes, they're very vanilla. Yeah. And I think while there is still plenty of thrusting and grunting in Night Eyes 3, mm, mm. you know, the I do think that it's TNA for mild-mannered people. Yeah, You know, it's the sort of... It's the sort of conservative smut that people who maybe... You, you know, you can imagine someone who wants a bit of raunch but then would feel ashamed watching it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Whereas you'd watch Night Eyes Free, you'd get your rocks off and you'd probably be like, oh, well, at least I can look myself in the mirror the next day because yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's not as rude as it could be. There's certainly nothing even close to um, Mark... Mark Singer getting his butthole fingered <laughs> by Lisa Pesci in body chemistry. I missed that. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything more comforting in life uh, than the sight of Will Griffith up a ladder with a cordless drilling? <laughs> it's a is recurring there? motif. Though, it is. It? Yeah. It's in every film. Yeah, um, and I, I love it. You know, uh, I think Linda with uh, Williams called it fetishistic. Mm, mm. And I, I yeah, guess like a, it is. Yeah, like a lingering on it, yeah. Um, yeah. Because you know, just that, that hardware, the whole setting up of angling the cameras, of just, you know, cordless drill, bit of screwing, raw plugs, <laughs> the works. <laughs> I, I find it so comforting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I, can... I think it really adds to his character. As that wholesome guy, not only is he great in bad, great, in bad, great father, but he also knows how to charge a drill. Mm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> What more do you want in your life? I know you're, you're being um, facetious to a certain degree there, but in, in, in terms of performance as well, I do think it's, it's another great Shannon Tweed performance is, as well. Yeah, there's, great. Um, mm-hmm. I absolutely, as cheesy as the daughter kind of stuff mm. is, I do really, really like the fact where... You know, I, I love that Tweed's delighted upon learning that mm. Griffith has a daughter. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of, again, it's that warmth that she often has to eschew in later roles and stuff. Mm. And it sort of hints at a real depth to the character that, that much like her character in Night Eyes 2 was yearning for more, so too is her character here. Mm. She wants more than just her career and fame. She wants stability and she wants family life and stuff. And mm. I think that's a really, really nice and sweet touch to the film. There is a genuine sweetness to the film, which is, is, is very... Which probably will surprise a lot of people who go into it looking to get their rocks off. Yeah. I like that line from her. 
Um, my career is heading into the toilet doing this junk. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to draw attention to the the sort of technical right, prowess okay. mm-hmm. of this film because I think the first thing is that it is it is buoyed by a gorgeous Terry Plummeri score who yeah. mm-hmm. is in other body chemistry compared element. to the previous film yeah. it's, it's another this, level mm. the scenes where where the camera's like prowling around and his mm. and, and Plummeri's score just fills the speakers they, yeah, that is magnificent mm. you know and uh, I do think that from a directorial point of view, with Stephen, uh, with Stevens as a director, I think that Night Eyes Free it's it ranks alongside his excellent Die Hard on a sub actioner crash dive for me sure. as his crowning directorial achievement. Mm. Um, I think that he's got an excellent feel for blocking and staging. Mm-hmm. He's got a nice sense of pace, a good eye for an arresting visual or two, and. Um, you know, but if you look at something like this, if you look at like Crash Dive and even sort of his like lesser works that he direct around these movies, that he can really adapt to any kind of material. Mm. But what would you expect of that? I mean, it's only a second film, you know, after the Terror Within. Mm. You know, aside from a couple of episodes of Swamp Thing and uh, well, obviously still Silk Stalkings. Mm. Um, mm. You know, to be so good, so well, let me rephrase that: to be so adept. Mm. So quickly is uh, it's a surprise, mm. but he's learnt from the best, True. hasn't he? You know, you don't you, you if you cut your teeth under Carmen and mm. then you're working on the regular with people like Jim Wynorski and then eventually Fred Ray and stuff like yeah. that. You're bound to pick up how to make your film look better despite its low budget. And I do think that this it has a great, great look to it. Night Eyes Free, yeah. And Stephen does come across as that guy who's going to absorb. Mm. Information. Yeah, he's obviously a learner, isn't he? Mm. Um, I also want to point out one last thing. That, mm. You know, when the movie ends, that final skyline shot. Yeah, that would actually go on to appear in several um, subsequent Andrew Stevens films. Oh, really? a, a couple of the ones that, a couple of the erotics that he'd produce for Royal Oaks when right. he and Amritraj went on to form that. Uh, I believe it's in one or two of the Masseuse movies, and it's in the, and it's in a couple of the escort films. Oh. That guy, his name is Will Griffith, and he hasn't regained consciousness yet. Find anything interesting? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I did. The power on the circuit box was cut. Now, luckily for you, the system had a battery backup. However, the audible alarm didn't have one. So what's next? Well, I'm going to replace the wires, I'm going to get a new lock for the box, and we're going to keep a very tight eye on your house for the next few weeks. You don't understand the problem. What? Nothing's missing. So whoever was here the other night is obviously going to come back. So here's a, here's a question for you. How interchangeable are the Night Eyes leads? So if you take Andrew Stevens out, you take Shannon Tweed out, mm-hmm. and you put in two completely fresh people, does it work? Yes and no. Okay, explain. In many ways, mm. Night Eyes 4, or to give it its full title, Night Eyes 4 Fatal Passion, could, could be seen as the best of the series. Okay. From a technical perspective, mm. in terms of its look and its feel, it's fantastic. Its direction, its sense of pace, wonderful. However, you are just watching a Night Eye Xerox and mm-hmm. the two people who are taking over from Stevens 
and Tweed. They, it's like the, I guess the sort of amateur dramatic society <laughs> version of it. Does that make sense? I thought it was a TV version. Yeah, it, practically. Yeah. I think if if they were going to um, if they're going to license the Night Eyes brand mm. uh, and they're going to make a twenty four episode TV show, this is what it would look like. Mm. But more mm. classy, obviously, than, than yeah. a TV show. I mean, the plot. I'm I'm almost loath to go into <laughs> the plot because basically do. it's just so Stevens for the final time appears as Will Griffith, mm-hmm. but he gets shot. Right at the film star. Yeah. Now, at this point in Stevens's career, he was very much becoming the mogul sure. that he wanted to do. As we mentioned earlier, Night Eyes Four was among the first films of his his and Amritraj's Royal Oaks, which mm-hmm. is the company that they'd set up around ninety four, ninety five time. Yeah, and stuff. And that was that was the company that they were that was their in house outfit where they'd grind out a bunch of. First erotic thrillers, then military hardware pictures mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. they'd set up franchise uh, franchise pictures at the turn of the millennium, around yeah. about, what, 97, 98. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it's very, very telling. In the moment where Stevens is shot, mm. the second after his produced <laughs> by Andrew Stevens credit comes up. And as much as we said that Night Eyes 3 is quite a meta film with its, mm-hmm. like, cop show behind the scenes sort of setting Yeah, I do think that that is Stevens' way of saying that not just I'm, I'm passing the baton down of the night I see mm. but this is it now I'm only going to be producing these sort of movies from now on and you will only see me in glorified cameo roles because once he's shot he's bed bound for the rest of the picture he's yeah. maybe in it another two minutes tops just very very fleetingly mm. no, I agree and you've got that again at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Almost one of the last lines is when he threatens to go back off to Knoxville. Mm. He says, you know, my heart just isn't in it anymore. Yeah. And it's like... That's his goodbye yeah. to Night Eyes. Yeah. Uh, which, 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 ironically, I believe that they did want to keep Night Eyes going, but by, mm. night, uh, but by 1996, the erotic thriller, sure. mm. in, in this form, yeah. was starting to become old hat. It was moving from plot-based films to something more akin. If you look like something like Masseuse Free, which mm. is just basically wall-to-wall sex. The yeah. Escort Free, mm. wall-to-wall sex. You know, there, there was very, very little plot. Once Griffith is out of the picture, mm. it involves his partner, a guy called Steve Caldwell, played by Jeff Tractor. Mm. And he's hired by a psychologist who's played by Paula Barbaribi, who at the time was probably most famous for uh, um, being the girlfriend of O.J. Simpson when he killed Nicole Brown. Mm. Can, can I say that? Yeah, you just did. Barbiri, she's this beautiful psychologist and she's getting stalked mm. by, well, and this is probably one of the big flaws of the film for me, someone. It's never really entirely clear. Mm, mm, mm. And as it goes on, you know, first, is it Casper Van Dien? Is it her sister? Who cares? It's just an excuse for some very well-assembled scenes of romping. And uh, a lot of sort of pacey, Hill Street bluesy type detective work and things mm. like that. Yeah, it's unusual to see Casper Van Dien here, isn't it? Because mm. like, in 10 months after making this film, he'd be cast in and start shooting Starship Troopers. Mm. Mm. Um, and it's it's a strange angle, really. I find this sort of side to the film quite clunky. Just the, the idea of him and his girlfriend sort of in the same location mm. at the shrink, but they're in the guest house 
And it's just a weird yeah. thing. She's a friend. Yeah. She's a friend of the shrink, isn't she? I, I mean, because I, I spent a, a vast portion of the picture the first mm. time I saw it thinking that it was her sister right. or something. It, it's never it's never really clear who anyone is by, you know, by Jeff Tractor yeah. and Paula Barbieri. It's, mm. it's never clear who, where anyone else really fits in there. And that, that's, that's a flaw of the script that people sort of just come yeah. drifting in and, in and out of it. But in terms of... From a technical perspective, I love it. It's it's, yeah. it's it's the most showy and polished of the series. And after Night Eyes Free, it's probably my favourite in, in, in that sense alone, in, in terms of just the aesthetic and the energy mm-hmm. and the pomp of it. It reminds me a lot of um, one of my favourite direct-to-video films, Ollie Sasson's Relentless Four, Ashes to Ashes. Mm. They're both very stylish, both a little over the top, with wry humour and they're not afraid to jump the shark a little bit and I mean that in the best best possible way mm. you know in, in terms of the both Relentless 4 and Night Eyes 4 they sort of although they adhere very much to the series framework they're not afraid to fuck with it a little bit either mm-hmm. and there's certainly a lot more energy and ceremony to Night Eyes 4 than the preceding films yeah, I think. you have your theory regard to Relentless 4. My theory is more regarding Night Eyes 1. Mm. I think it's very similar in, ty- in terms of the type of threat. I think it's very similar in terms of uh, Will's character development and characteristics. Again, 90% is shot in the mansion, and it's more of a noir. You know, 2 and 3 mm. didn't, didn't adhere to any noir tropes. Well, this this is. This is going you know, full-on uh, mm. noir. Mm. Okay, well, so maybe... If we meet in the middle with this and say that it's basically Night Eyes Four is basically a reheated version of Night Eyes One, mm. but just with souped up flashier camera work and a general air of like pomp and ceremony. How's that? That sounds fair. I'm pleased with that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Let's do that. One thing that you know that I really, really like about it is that uh, one. You've got the return of Chick Venera, the late great Chick Venera, mm. who uh, also appeared in the first Night Eyes yeah. for, for a short while, and of course also featured in Body Chemistry Three, quite mm. prominently in a little bit in Body Chemistry mm. Four. I love the fact. I mean, we were talking just before we recorded this that in terms of cinematography, you've got mm. the the peerless Gary Graver. I know shooting him. Shooting this thing, you certainly familiar do. with him, and. Graver, I don't think he's ever shot a better looking movie. Mm-hmm. I think this is very polished, very, very slick, very nicely composed and lit and all that jazz. Um, and I really, this is the sort of, in terms of the sex scenes, there's a real nice vim and vigour to them and mm. an energy and an attitude that was sort of lacking in the, the Vanilla Stevens ones. Which reminds me, I just go to Aldi on the way home and get some peaches. <laughs> well, I mean, that is a, a quite an extraordinary moment. <laughs> but the, the one for me, the one that I like, I really like as, as silly and again going back to what I said about the mm. shark jumping you know yeah. this romp in a jail cell <laughs> that happens I love this the up close and personal handheld mm. style mm. Yeah. in there it's, yeah. it's very you know it, it's very frantic and fast and sexy and stupid all at the same time and that's just a really great scene well we can go pick him up but we can't hold him unless you're willing to file an official complaint what am I doing here right now well I mean you have to come back for this preliminary hearing testify again if it goes to trial. What's the matter? I, I, I just can't go through all this. <laughs> well, if you don't press charges, there's nothing we can do. No, 
This is a dangerous man. He's probably the one responsible for all the other stuff that's been going on at that house. Well, that might be true. But unless she presses charges, there's nothing we can do. Do you think that of the whole franchise, does a perfect Night Eyes film? Does a perfect Night Eyes film exist? Or if you're going to make a perfect Night Eyes film, do you have to take elements of oh, with, without all question, of the four? Without question, you'd because it's a to... perfect body chemistry film, isn't it? That's number one. Yes. Yeah, that's a, with, that's a five star masterpiece. Yeah, but with Night Eyes, I think if you were to compile. Mm. You know, the definitive Night Eyes film, I think you would have to take elements, wouldn't you? Yeah. Every one of the pictures. I think three and four probably come the closest. And I mm. would say that they are both mid to high level three star movies. Right. Them. That's fair. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of the Night Eyes films broach four star or above no. territory if you're going to be so gauche as no. giving them But a that's star not rating. a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all. That's not a bad thing at all, because regardless of how, you know, what they might lack, Night Eyes 1 started this whole thing mm, mm. In, 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 a, in its own way. That and along with body chemistry, it just doesn't have the legs that body chemistry does wear. And I think that the flaw, the ultimate flaw with the Night Eyes series is that there isn't any sort of rich psychological subtext like mm. there is to even a relatively slight body chemistry film like Body Chemistry 3. Yeah. That at least has a certain degree of wit and smarts mm-hmm, to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas Night Eyes, there, there isn't there isn't any sort of deeper desire to probe these characters. Mm. Although, you know, it comes close with in, in number two, and that rests solely, in number two and three, sorry, that rests solely on Tweed and her excellent yeah. performances. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's there's not much in the way of, of complexity or characterisation and things like that. Mm. We, we did get this film on video in this country, in the UK, didn't we, at some point? Mm. But the whole franchise has got a really weird... Um, thing or, or, yeah. with regard to British home entertainment what, what, what's with that because the first I mean in terms of distributors you had the first two come out through High Flyers the third mm. one being entertainment video and the fourth one being High Flyers but they weren't they didn't come out as Night Eyes 1, 2, 3, 4 did they? no no no, no. we did have Night Eyes 1 so yeah we got Night Eyes as Night Eyes mm-hmm um, Night Eyes 2 of all things High Flyers chose to release that as Hour of Darkness now I question to you why you would do that with the presumed success mm. of number one if you had an established name why would you call the sequel something different but you had a theory I mean my theory in, in that regard is but obviously back in the day there wasn't anything like box office mojo no. you couldn't really sort of track sales figures with mm. any kind of ease like you can now um, and I imagine that because of the there was a year discrepancy between Night Eyes mm. hitting American video and then coming over here in the UK. Yeah. And I think that when it finally hit video in the UK, that it probably didn't shift as well mm. as High Flyers were hoping, at least not initially. Sure. So they retitle it to Hour of Darkness. Mm. Um, by the time Night Eyes 3 is is picked up from by Entertainment in Video... Obviously, Night Eyes has become a bit of a thing, and they elect to keep the Night Eyes free title. Mm. Linking in with that, between Night Eyes free getting a British release and Night Eyes four getting a British video release, back with High Flyers, another company called New Age Entertainment they actually picked up Fred Olin Ray's film Possessed by the Night 
and very rather cheekily <laughs> gave it the AKA Night Eyes the Possession. Mm. And they released that in 1995 before Night Eyes 4 yeah. was even made, or while it was being made, rather. Mm. The dates are a little bit sketchy. So because of that, when Night Eyes 4 finally came over to here in the UK, High Flyers, they changed its title and they called it The Midnight Hour. Hmm. And stuff, which is bizarre because you know, imagine watching you rent the, you rent a movie called The Midnight Hour, hmm. and all of a sudden it's like, oh, why are they going on about night eye security? Hmm. This reminds me of that Hour of Darkness film I saw, but that wasn't a night eye sequel. Hmm. You know, it's it's very very strange. I have no idea what they were thinking, but if, no. if anything, I think it just if it it's further proof that director video on either side of the Atlantic was such a lawless and crazy time yeah. that any attempts to track these films with a degree of accuracy, you have to corroborate it with about 20 other sources before you can make any any kind of definitive statement on it. It's insane. Mm. Before we go, I, I do want to begin a petition. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, you look around social media uh, and within our film-obsessive community, and everyone has their own specific odes to what they're into normally in a dress sense and um, mm. the freight rags t-shirts mm-hmm. you know that they're really big you see guys going to conventions and they're plastered with tcm t-shirts or freddy t-shirts as well mm-hmm. like um i really want to develop a line of nighttime security uniforms <laughs> absolutely what are you, are you in yeah massively <sighs> completely yeah. completely yes i want that yeah because almost you, you could you could you could kind of put the um the, the, the Shannon Tweed quote on, on, on the box, you know, polyester rent-a-cop, rent-a-cop outfit. <laughs> yeah, I'm down with that. Let's develop it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Maybe we should put this on Patreon, charge it, and fund this entire sorry enterprise. Ah, genius. <laughs> ah, too late, too late. Anyway, uh, let's wrap this up. Obviously, um, you can't see any of these films anywhere. Uh, they used to have Night Eyes 4 on uh, Prime, and it's recently been released on... Region 1 DVD in a double bill with Snapdragon, which Ashok Amritraj also produced. Mm. But uh, over here, <laughs> fuck yeah. knows. Who knows? Um, but if you do manage to see these by Huckleberry Crook, I don't think they even really get onto YouTube very often, mm. uh, then please uh, give us a shout and let us know if you agree with our opinion. Um, but other than that, uh, thank you very much. For listening yeah and uh, we promise we won't leave it so long next time thanks for listening don't forget to head over to the schlockpit.com see you next time on flesh noir